What's going on, everyone? My name is Cameron Harn, and welcome to the Principles of Fitness podcast, where we acknowledge some of the hidden authorities in the fitness industry. On today's episode, we have a very special guest with us. As a professor at Moore Park College, he has led the charge for many to experience how truly great it is to be in the fitness industry. Through his programs at Moore Park, he aims to set the standard for personal trainers in the industry. Honestly, there are way too many great things that I could say about this man, and I'm sure that many would agree. He ignited my passion for personal training some eight years ago, and I will forever be grateful for what he has done for me. So please listen closely because this episode is full of valuable information that could dramatically improve your career or even your life. This is industry legend, Jeff Kryl. Why do you think people with shaped heads make the best personal trainers? Well, there's no question. We don't have to look in mirrors to see if things are out of place. (laughs) I mean, if you look at Brock Cushman, for example, I mean, I don't know how much money and time he spends just dealing with his amazing hair. Now, if you look at the picture, you'll see when he was an intern. Oh, that's right. He went that route, and it might have been just to suck up to his professor, but yeah, I can wake up, put on a new shirt. I uh, I can even go train, go change, come back, train another client. So it's Super easy, and it's no no secrets. They see everything. I'm yeah. not hiding them behind any product. I don't have to worry about my hair at all. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Right? It's just so great having low maintenance. No maintenance. Yeah, I, no maintenance. I, I, sh- I shave my head like once every like eight days, and that's about as maintenance as it gets. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Let's see, I'm a little more high maintenance than that. I do have once every like four or five days. Yeah. If I can run my hands through it, I'm like, uh oh. Yeah. This isn't good. Yeah. I feel like the, a teddy bear. The, the zero guard. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Could you explain a little bit um, for people who don't know you, like how you got to now? Sure. It's quite a story. Um, I went to school uh, and got to, got my degree in kinesiology from Cal State Fullerton and uh, really expected that sports medicine, something along the lines of being a doctor was what I was interested in pursuing. Then I uh, realized that, I don't know, I really wanted to be more on the, more hands-on, more out in the field. Uh, I then started thinking about maybe athletic training. I love sports. I've always had a passion for sports. Uh, and so I, I figured, well, maybe I'll go that route, still helping people, still, you know, getting a chance to practice the sports medicine side of things. Uh, then I started realizing kind of the frustration in taking all these athletic training classes and even doing an internship in athletic training that there was so much, it was so reactive. And it's just my preference. I mean, I love that we have athletic trainers and we're all blessed to have them around, but it was very reactive. It was, oh, you're hurt now. Now I got to try to work on and getting you back out there rather than more on the preventive side, which really isn't the scope of what they do outside of well, you, you maybe are chronic, you're a chronic uh, ankle inverter. We're going to try to tape your foot in such a way that it doesn't allow you to invert so easily. So in that way, it's prevention, but really it's more of like, you know, trying to restrict it. And that was just kind of frustrating for me. Um, considered physical therapy, but again, I was back in the same, like, it's usually when do you see a PT? It's when you're already hurt. Uh, although although the culture is kind of changing now a little bit more, people go there when they're more on the preventive side, but that's still sort of an anomaly. So then uh, strength conditioning was something I was really interested in pursuing. And uh, went, I went as far as to, I, when I got my degree, I then went and got certified as a personal trainer and then earned my uh, strength conditioning coach specialist through NSCA. And that was basically the prompt I needed to start just throwing out resumes left and right to try and get a job in strength conditioning. From a professional 
teams to uh, collegiate teams. I actually got a call back from the Dodgers. This didn't really work out. I uh, got a call back from UCLA, uh, which uh, when I found out how much they were going to pay me, I was like, uh, I can't live off of that. So, really? Yeah, it was an interesting thing. Of course, this was, you know, 20 years ago, actually a little bit more than that. So, I mean, I'm sure, I hope things have changed now in that regard. I'd imagine they would. I would hope so, yeah. um, because you can end up losing a lot of really quality people if you can't, they can't eat. <laughs> but then I decided, you know what, I'm, I was working at Disneyland at the time, and I figured, uh, you know, creating walkways with ropes and shooting hippos on the Jungle Cruise <laughs> probably needed a little bit more than that related to my degree. And so uh, I decided to try out personal training. There was a gym right down the street. It was a 24-hour fitness. Was, they were just transitioning from family fitness to 24-hour fitness. And so we saw the family fitness canopies all over the place. All the, the signs on the wall still said family fitness. That's how long ago that was. So I figured this was just going to be an opportunity for me to just get my hands you know, hands dirty, just kind of get some experience. But strength conditioning at that time in my life was still what I wanted to do. I just fell in love with it. Um, I loved being able to create my own schedule to some degree. I mean, when you first start off, it's a little harder to do that. I really enjoyed working with a variety of clientele. Then I, one of my managers said, hey, you know, I want to see you do some teaching for our staff. And so I ended up acting as sort of like a mentor to new hires and then doing little group workshops for our trainers on how to uh, help with low back pain, um, how to, you know, what's the best way to train the abdominals when doing a crunch, and just all these different things. And I love teaching. I really, really enjoyed it. I got uh, the opportunity to be promoted to fitness manager. I was pretty successful in sales and uh, had a really good resign rate as a trainer. And I figured, well, I guess management's probably the next step. They uh, gave me a, the worst club in the division. And uh, when you go from being the top producer in the division to now being the manager of the worst club in the division, it was not a good way to, to it was not a promotion. We'll just put it that yeah. way. So <clears throat> with that, um, I just, I really started to despise it. I started to hate it. I was working even more hours than I was, making half the money I was, and went back to personal training. Fell in love with it again and loved it. Went to a different club, opened up a, a sport club. Then my district manager, or excuse me, area manager, she encouraged me to apply for a position at, in a teaching position at 24 Hour Fitness in the corporate arena, so the university, we called it. So I would be teaching the classes for personal trainers and the recertifications for personal trainers, and I thought that would be the coolest thing. The guy who taught my class at 24 Hour Fitness, I thought he was the man. I was like, that would be the greatest job in the world. And so, yeah. By God's grace and a whole lot of interviews, and uh, I had to do part of my interview was a two-hour lecture on lower extremity, lower extremity anatomy, in front of a hundred people. And wow. and the guy, the guy that who was there, his name was Mark. He said, "Hey, if you can keep these guys excited during anatomy, you're going to get this job." So I had three of the instructors. One was the dean of the university in the back while I'm teaching lower body anatomy. This is part of my interview, and you know. The rest is history. I got the job, and I started traveling all around the United States, uh, teaching different uh, division, uh, different areas for 24-hour fitness and certifying trainers. And, um, and then eventually moved back to this area, Southern California, started taking over other areas like Hawaii, Arizona. Got a chance to see a lot, um, teach a lot, and teaching new programs. Got to create continuing education courses on all sorts of different things from nutrition to exercise for special populations. And there was still always something there, though. And uh, I, 
I had actually talked to an old friend of mine on a, on a flight. He and I were traveling to, uh, to a, a location, and I said, you know, my dream is to teach what we do at 24 Hour Fitness at a college and have it be a platform for people to be able to be ready to get a job. Not, hey, we're going to hire you, and now we got to do all this training to get you ready. Let's have them get hired and be ready right away. And so what I do here at Moore Park College, when I finally... I finally started applying. I earned my master's degree from California University of Pennsylvania, uh, which was the greatest decision I ever made academically. I mean, and it helped me in my, in my, my ability to pursue my dream. Uh, without a master's, I wouldn't be able to do what I do now. And um, well, I, got, I earned my master's. I'm still at 24 Hour Fitness, and he said he even encouraged me. He said, "Write these things down. Write down what you want to do. Write down what your vision is. And you know, you never know. You may be able to sell that idea to someone." And I was like, "Okay, that's cool." So I did. I started writing things down, and over the course of the next two to three years, uh, I had a lot of ideas about what I what I envisioned a program to look like. Because I know that community colleges had programs like this, but I'd never really seen any trainers next to me in my gyms who had these things. And we, we had a, hired a couple from some local colleges that had these certificates, but they lasted maybe two months, and I really wasn't very impressed. I was like, well, th- you went to school for this, and this is what you're doing? And so 24 Fitness had a big, a big change in management, the corporate office, new CEO. And when you're in education, you don't bring in revenue directly. You spend a lot of revenue though because yeah. you're traveling and printing off new textbooks and we need computers and this and that so I knew the writing was on the wall that they were going to, this person who really knew nothing about what we did in education he was going to get rid of us and sure enough I left about three months before they just started canning everyone oh, and so I had left, I was being recruited pretty hard to go to Fitness 19 so I moved my, my wife and at that time my uh, six-month-old baby boy, Maddox, out to uh, Colorado. And so I was a manager and personal trainer and built my business. We did some really cool things at that location. And they asked me then to move to North Denver to help open up another gym for a new owner. And we did some really, really awesome stuff. But the love wasn't there. It was, I, I still missed the teaching. I got a chance to hire some people and I was mentoring them, taking through how to train. We did hands-on stuff in the gym, but I was still, that vision that my friend Bryce had told me to write down, I was still lacking and I, I was really missing that. So my wife told me, she could see it in my eyes. She said, you are not happy. I can see it. You're not, you're not making jokes anymore. You're not, you're not jumping out of bed, ready to go to work. She said, what do you want to do? And I told her, I want, I want to teach at a college. I have my master's now. I know what I want to do, and this is it. And so she encouraged me to start throwing out resumes left and right. It happened to be God's timing because when we still owned our house in Irvine and uh, the renters, unfortunately, the husband lost his job, so they weren't able to cover the rent pretty much the entire time they were there. So we're paying our rent in Colorado plus mortgage in oh, in Irvine and uh it, it, plus, I wasn't making the, mo- the money I was hoping to make as well out there. So it's just a combination of things. Plus, the love wasn't there. So we moved back, and I needed a job. So I told my wife, I said, you know, if I have to go work as a personal trainer at a gym, I'll do it. It's no problem. I'll do what I have to do. Well, my uh, friend of mine from church said, you know what? You're back. I want to empty out the whole side of my building that he owns. Um, I'd like to make a gym there and love for you to train as long as I can train. My, my family and I can train for free. And I said, Done. So I had my, that business out there for four years, and but even within within the first year, I got a phone call from Ventura County Community College District that I was asked to come in for an interview for this position at Moore Park College, and I got the job. So it, it's just awesome. Now I I have a chance to 
develop curriculum, uh, you know, people who are brand new into fitness, who want to know what the fitness industry is all about. We, you know, we teach all these different courses that help as preparation for them to be able to get a job. More importantly, stick it out and know what to expect. Not, hey, I got a piece of paper, now I'm going to be a trainer, and then have no idea what it really entails. Uh, and so in addition to that, you know, people who are returning, people who, hey, I've already been in the fitness industry. I have a guy who went through my program, and he was already a trainer for 12 years. He owns his own facility, has for several years, and he came back because he heard about this program, and he even said it completely changed the way he ran his business. That's so funny. It is. It is, yeah, Tom. Yeah. yeah Tom. So what a blessing it has been to be able to affect so many people from different backgrounds, from people who are 18 and say, you know what? I don't want to go to college. I just want to work. I love fitness. If this is the best way to do it, then you can be done in two semesters or more if you want to take other classes, to people who are like, hey, I want to go. I want to go into physical therapy, and I don't, I don't know any of this stuff yet. Well, this stuff can be so helpful for them. So that's, that's where I've landed, and we, the opportunity that we've had to grow this program from just to offering a class or two, which is when I first met you. It was very, very new. The, the program was very new, uh, to now you know, offering several classes, and then we are now um, going to be rolling out two new certificates that are going to be helping people who are advanced to say, hey, I want more education. I've been doing this for five, six, ten years give me more so I can reposition myself in the fitness industry and make more money so and help more people. So, yeah, it's an opportunity that we've had to, to grow, and um, it all started from just being a personal trainer. That's amazing. <laughs> so just backtracking a little bit, when did you first start? Like, how many years have you been doing this for? Well, I started unofficially, if you will, at Cal State Fullerton when I was in kinesiology. Uh, one of the opportunities that one of my professors, Diane Ross, not the singer, uh, she, she said, I really encourage you kinesiology students to look into gerontology. Well, I didn't know what that was. And so gerontology, she said, it's this baby boom generation. They are we're living longer. They have more discretionary income, and they want to be active. These people are interested in activity. So look in gerontology. Be, be a specialist in working with seniors. And I said, wow, that, that might be interesting to me. But again, I didn't really know that fitness was what I wanted to do. Well, I ended up uh, applying and successfully attaining the internship at the gerontology clinic at Cal State Fullerton. It's called the Ruby Gerontology Center. And so I did a, a, a two-unit internship at the clinic. So I was working with doing small group warm-ups, cool-downs. I was doing individual training, helping to lead the assessments, because this was part of an actual study that Cal State Fullerton was doing, these professors were doing. And so this was like the real deal. We had protocols we had to follow and the whole stuff. And, um, and I just loved it. I had such a good time. And I then got, that's when, when I was I just started at 24-Hour Fitness and realized, wow, this is, this is what I want to do. It was, it was so great. And when I, even when I got the, the offer to move into strength and conditioning, I didn't have much of a problem turning it down because I, I really enjoyed doing, doing what I was doing with the variety of populations I was doing it with. And, you know, I got a chance to even work with, with athletes as well, and I continue to, as a matter of fact. So um, it's not that I'm devoid of that population that I really was driven to work with initially. But, yeah, that's, that is essentially how I got into it. It was at that gerontology clinic. That's what started me going, wow, fitness is, fitness is a really cool thing. And it's not just for bodybuilders or athletes. It's for, you know, Carol Ann, my 84-year-old client who's, he needs help walking. I mean, how cool is that? So that's how it all started. What was it that you found sparked your interest? Like, what was it that gave you that, that fire inside? Wow. You know, 
uh, it might still be what it is today for me, and that is helping a person who doesn't see movement as joy. <laughs> and I, I like moving. You like moving. I mean, uh, I, I love running around. I love doing stuff, you know, even my 40s, and I've always been that way. And to see a person who lives a lifestyle that's so sedentary and they see movement as an inconvenience, you know, they, they're, they're the ones who, and I, I used to do the same thing, you know, I, if I have to take something upstairs, I'll put it on the stairs and take it up next time I go rather than taking a whole separate trip up there or circle the parking lot looking for the closest parking spot, you know, when I'm going to the gym. It's, it's things like that. I go, wow, you know, I, I like moving and I, I don't know why people don't like to move when our bodies were built for movement. And so when you see a person who starts to slowly evolve their mindset and they start to change in how they perceive movement and then they look forward to pushing themselves a little bit harder or they look forward to taking their dog for a walk or they're excited because of the fact that they can play with their grandkids, you know, actually play with them, not just sit and watch their kids play in the backyard. I mean, that's, that's a really, really big deal to me. And that is what, that's what never lets me sleep that well at night because I'm always like, no, there are other people who need my help. And, you know, I, I, I see that in all my walks of life and I try to encourage people not to do what I do, uh, but to do something. And so, yeah, I think that's what it is. It's just getting people to, to want to move. And, like, it doesn't, you don't have to do what I do. You don't have to do a Spartan race. You, know, yeah. you, don't, you don't have to go play ultimate Frisbee. You don't have to do that. But what about walking the dog, you know? What about, what about just doing yard work? I mean, there's something that is going to require movement. I mean, let's find something you enjoy, and let's figure out how we can get you to move while doing it, which is going to sustain your longevity and your quality of life. Is there a look? or a language that you've seen from people who have kind of like, like the light bulb goes off and they see it? You know, it's hard to identify any one thing. Um, I would say that, that when you see a person who has kind of been, I wouldn't say pushing away your advice or, or ignoring it. I wouldn't say ignoring it because they hear it, but it may not mean something to them. It's when they start doing that thing or other things perhaps without your prompting and then you can see how they they walk into a session or you see how they now interact with other people. Um, I, I, I recall a client of mine who was just very meek. She didn't really talk to very many people. She was a CFO of a, her company. and oh, wow. But at the gym, she's out of her element. Yeah. So she she wouldn't look people in the eyes. She um, she didn't feel very secure around me, which was so weird because she was commanding like a company, you know. And uh, but then when we took her into more things that showed like you can do this and you're successful with this, and yeah, you're gonna fail, but failure is part of the process. She started to accept that everyone starts where she was, and now she started realizing not only was she stronger than some of the people that she knew, she was actually more competent and confident in the weight room now, and to the point where she eventually told me, yeah, so on the days we don't train, I work out on my lunch break at the local gym, and she said, I ran into some guys from my office, and I asked them where they were going, because they were going up from the locker room to like the circuit area, cardio area, and they said, oh, we're going to go lift weights. She goes, well, the weight room's down here. And they said, oh, we don't, no, we don't really feel comfortable in the weight room. She goes, well, <laughs> how about next time I take you in the weight room? No way. I mean, and that was, and for her, she was beaming. The look on her face when she was telling me that story was priceless. It was so great. And that's, 
even if she wasn't losing weight, which she was, even if she wasn't, you know, changing how she looked, which she was, the confidence that she gained from just having that regular, frequent visitation to the gym and having that experience, it, it changed how she carried herself. It was really, really amazing. Is that one of your first success stories? Do you remember your, like, first success story, wow. how that felt to you? First success story. If I'm going to go very, very first, then I'd have to say her name is Carol Ann. I made a, a reference to her when I worked at the gerontology clinic uh, a couple seconds ago about helping an 80-something-year-old be able to walk. That was, she was a tough case. She was, I'll never forget her, but, you know, she's in her mid-80s. She was a widow, um, and um, her kids basically had prompted her to get involved in this fitness program at, at Cal State Fullerton for seniors. But she had no motivation to be there. Um, you could tell when she walked in, she was so cute. She always was completely made up. Her hair was perfect. She wore blouses with sweaters over them. <laughs> and I mean, I don't mean sweatshirts. I mean sweaters. And she wore slacks. And she wore these cute little loafers. She was not there to work out. And apparently, she she was part of the group warm-up. But then I was assigned to her as a one-on-one coach for her because the my faculty had said, you know, she needs one-on-one assistance. Well, I didn't find this out until about a week or two later, but she had already gone through three interns because the, the intern said, she won't work for me. She won't do anything. And what she'll do is she'll sit on the piece of equipment. And you say, okay, let's start. And she'll go, I want to rest. I'm like, well, we haven't done anything yet. So it's just so interesting that she would just push back so much on pretty much everything. Uh, she would always hold on to the handrails on the treadmill. Um, when you hit start, she said, that's it, you're good. Hit start, don't hit the up arrow, don't hit the incline, don't touch anything, just start. And, you know, it starts at like 1.0 or 0.5, whatever it was back then. And so it was, it was, it took her love of sharing stories, which, I mean, for people who don't get a chance to talk to seniors, you've got to talk to seniors. They, they are so wise, and it's so much fun to hear their stories. I'm listening about trying to get a little perspective as to why she's so reluctant to exercise. Uh, but it was her background, her, her, her upbringing. It was females didn't exercise, and, you know, they, they never lifted weights. They would never be in a gym. I mean, those things didn't really even exist when she was a kid. So to now start this, it was, it was a, a different kind of environment for her, and, and she, even, she didn't feel very comfortable with it. Well, she loved to share stories, and so I could see that she was capable of more, but she always stopped herself from being a little uncomfortable. She always stopped herself from pushing herself a little bit harder. And I wasn't asking her to do anything crazy. I just wanted to do one more repetition. And if she failed, whatever. That, then we know. Well, she was getting ready to tell me a story during a quote-unquote rest period, which was really <laughs> most of what she did. And so I said, you know what? I can't wait to hear the rest of the story. And you, But you know what? I want you to, to tell me that story again. And you know what? And I pulled another member there, another senior who was working out there, said, I want you to tell him that story you told me about whatever it was. Well, when she got the invitation to share a story, she was like, okay. Well, what she didn't notice was that when she was sitting down talking to me and not paying attention to what I was doing, we had those pneumatic machines. So it's just a a button to increase the pressure inside the machine. So you don't have to actually pull a pin out and change the weight stack. I added about 40 pounds onto her leg press. Whoa. And I said, okay, just do 12 reps, and I want to hear the story. So she did 12 reps, and she was still talking while doing her 12 repetitions. (laughs) 
And so I, she said, okay, now, now let me tell you. And I, so I grabbed the guy next to me and by the shoulder, by, by, put my arm over his, over his shoulder, and I said, you've got to hear this story. I said, but before you hear the story, i got a better one for you. It's about a really sweet woman named Carol Ann who can do a whole lot more. And I pointed down at the dial to show her how much weight she was lifting, the PSI reading. To show, I, I said, about this woman named Carol Ann who can do a whole lot more than she thinks she can. And it was so cute. And she always did this to me, but she looked down at the dial slowly looked up and then raised her fist and pumped it in my face. <laughs> and I said, Carol Ann, are you done playing now? Are we, can we take this for real now? And she said, you're right. And that was it. It was that moment. I will never forget. And that guy, the guy stood there and said, well, do I hear the story or what? And I was like, yeah, tell the story. But uh, after that, it, everything changed. Um, I finally started getting into um, more of the psychological side of it with her because she never really wanted to talk about the fact that she was diagnosed with peripheral neuropathy. So her, the nerves in her lower body were just wasting away. And she had really, really small legs. I mean, skinny, skinny, skinny legs. And um, she never wanted to share the story about the diagnosis. But I kept asking, tell me about the, the appointment with the doctor. Tell me what the conversation was. How did he come to the conclusion? Well, the conclusion was, come back in a year and I will fit you for a wheelchair. And she just kind of shrugged her shoulders and accepted it. And, uh, and so then finally I got, I got to the crux of it and I said, how did that make you feel? And she said, well, I was so angry. I said, why were you angry? I mean, look at your legs. Why were you angry? She said, because he never even gave me another option. And I said, so what about, I said, what are you going to do about that? What if we could give you that option in here? And how about in a year you walk in there and show him you don't need one? And she, and that was it. That, and it wasn't that I motivated her. She had it in her. We just had to have a conversation to discover what that was. And so after that, everything I mentioned was walking into that doctor's office and seeing the look on his face. Walking in that doctor's office, seeing the look on his face. And that was that was the driver for her. And I mean, I was still in contact with her. <sighs> Two, three years after we were done, she would send me cards for my birthday. I would send her cards. <laughs> oh, and, uh, and she was still walking. She was still walking. Didn't have a wheelchair. And uh, that is absolutely my first success story. It's just, it was so amazing to see that change in her. But again, it came from her. I just had to be the one to kind of help her sift through it and find out what it was that was really her driver. That's amazing. Yeah, great story. You're so passionate. You're so just driven how has your upbringing shaped you to be who you are today? Are, have you always been like this? You know what? If you ask my mom, she will tell you the answer is yes. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, she would say she was watching one of my kids' uh, sports practices several, several years ago. I think he was five. And uh, I said, you know, do you see any similarities in how I was at practice versus, you know, my son? And she laughed. She goes, oh, no. She's all, he's having fun. You were out there. First in line for everything. You had to beat everyone at everything. You were you had to kick harder than everyone. She said, you know, you were always outside practicing your sport. You never just messed around. You always practiced your sport. Um, she, so she said, she said that's always been a part of your personality. So if you told me you can't do that, I'll say, watch me. You know, and uh, you know, I love competition. Um, my, I'd say my perspective on competition has changed a little bit more now that I. I'm in my 40s, and I realize, wow, if I don't win, I don't have to be a jerk about it and pout and <laughs> go home and cry. But all that does is make me go, all right, got to work harder next time. Well, what can I do differently? And I mainly compete against myself uh, now, but um, being competitive has always been a big part of who I am. Um, I, I actually had an experience where I had a coach in high school. I was, 
I was the last guy off the bench in, in basketball in high school. I went freshman, sophomore, junior, senior years, went through every possible rank for boys basketball at my high school. Finally, I made it to varsity my senior year, and out of 14 guys on the team, I was number 14 off the bench. And... Uh, and for whatever reasons, and you know, all my, the friends on my team were like, "Man, you should be playing right now. You should be playing." I'm like, "Hey, man, I can't control that." And so, I'll never forget that the head coach, who was well intentioned, he was well intentioned. He was a nice guy. I really liked the guy. Um, he just wasn't a very good coach. At least I didn't think he was. Of course, I wasn't playing, so of course I think he's a bad coach. <laughs> uh, but uh, he at our at our basketball banquet at the end of the season, he said, "Jeff knows so much about basketball. I uh, I can just see him." I can just see him being a coach someday, and um, you know, uh, I, I, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a shame that um, that he knows more than he's able to do. Like he said that at a banquet, that I'm smarter than my body can do it, and I was like, oh, all right, gosh. and I know he tried to make it a compliment, yeah, because. I didn't play. So I'm trying to figure out what he was thinking, but, you know, sometimes we say stupid things. And so, but that absolutely got, got under my skin. And I said, all right, so it's on. So I told myself that I was going to play at my local community college and prove him wrong. And uh, I did. I made the team. I was, I, then I blew out my ankle and then my career ended. So it was about the best 10 seconds of my life. <laughs> but, but it was interesting because... That drive, when I, I actually went back to, I think it might have been a homecoming basketball game, uh, my buddy and I went together, and uh, one of the assistant coaches who, he was, he, was, uh, he was a couple years ahead of me at my school, he played basketball, and he goes, hey, did I hear that you're, you're, you play at Golden West? And I was like, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm on the team, but I'm injured, so I don't know, I'm probably going to get cut at any point now. He goes, wow, that's really awesome, you need to go see the head coach. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So I saw him in, in passing, and uh, he put his arm around me, and he goes, wow, Jeff, so you must have really gotten better since high school because, oh, yeah, like, right, again, right. it's like he was trying to compliment me. I'm like, dude, we got to work on this, you know. Just backhanded compliments. Yeah, where's your wife in this whole thing? That's what <laughs> wives are for. They're here to help you not trip over your own tongue. And so, um, yeah, but it, it, it was, obviously it was satisfying for me. I didn't do it just for him, but I wanted to do it so I could prove to myself that I, I could play, that I was good enough. Um, and that, that's always been a part of, a part of who I've been. Um, you know, I, I've seen examples in my, in my life about, you know, how could I be a better husband than what I'm seeing, and I want to do those things. Ah, it doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm doing a great job, but I always want to look at what can I do differently, what can I do better, um, from parenting to, to even running a program here, you know, um, the first thing I said to uh, the dean at the time who hired me uh, here at Moorpark, uh, I said, who's the number one career and technical program here on campus? And she said, oh, it's nursing. It's not even close. And I was like, oh, really? I said, okay, we're going to beat them. And she laughed. And she said, well, nobody beats nursing. Like, they, they graduate 60 people a year, you know? And I was like, okay, we'll beat nursing. And uh, five years later, I got the report. And I took a picture of it and sent it to her, and I said, I told you. And she laughed. She remembered that conversation. She said, I thought you were crazy. And we did. We had 73 once, I think 72, and they had 62 or whatever it was. So we beat nursing. Now, I'm by myself, so nursing has a whole staff, obviously. So yeah. you know, that was never going to be sustainable. But the fact that that was on my radar, um, it just that's always been about who I am. So I think my, my drive 
to always do something a little bit better um, is what's allowed me to then, you know, do better things in my life, whether it's, you know, I want to, I want a better flexibility or I, I want to be, I want to be a better driver. I drive so much that when I first came out here, I was, I was, I can't believe I didn't get in accidents or get more tickets just because I was so impatient. And now with going on, you know, just finishing nine years of commuting, like even something as small as that, um, what can I do better? How can I be better at this stuff? And, um, you know, I always look at, I always look at what, what is somebody else doing that could be something I can strive for. So I always, I'm always look, checking out other programs, for example, all over the state, all over the country. What are they doing? How many classes do they offer? Um, how many people do they graduate? Uh, do they have internships? Do they have a local employer partnerships? I am always looking on that kind of stuff because that's how I know if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And if, if I don't compare myself to others, then I don't know if I'm achieving what this community needs for me. So what's that process like if you feel that you want to improve something about yourself or about the program here at Moore Park? Is there a process? Do you, I mean, you, have, you told me that your friend told you to write things down. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you go from A to B? Yeah, I, I still, I, I'm, I'm a note taker, so I, I take lots and lots of notes. So during my semester, if you ever see my desk, you might remember when you were here, there's little notes everywhere for me. And, oh, yeah, um, it's really tidy right now. Yeah, it's summer break. It's, it's nice and <laughs> it's pristine right now. But, yeah, I, I definitely jot things down. Um, I, I do have a lot of time uh, to... To meditate and think about stuff. Um, that's one of the values I have with my commute. Uh, people say your commute sucks, and I say, well, it's long, but it does not suck. Like I use that time very, very, uh, very wisely for myself, whether it's prayer, whether it's calling old friends I haven't talked to in, in years just to check in, or you know, even just to to just think about what is it I'm doing now and what do I need to do differently. And oftentimes it's even reflecting on the day. Um, but uh, a lot of it is thinking about it, and I love. I love chewing on stuff on my own and then asking my wife. She's, she's my best friend. Like She's super smart and has really good insight. And not being in the fitness industry, she actually has really great input on what's probably going to work and what may not work. Um, I love talking to my colleagues, the other faculty here in my department, and even in other departments, the business department, uh, and people who um, even work with our personal trainers here uh, on campus as part of our internship program. Because I want to know, is what I'm interested in thinking about doing is, is it worthwhile? Is it valuable? Is it, is it even something that would be considered a resource for people to take advantage of? And of course, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of reaching out to um, our local employers. Um, I have a lot of alumni, including yourself, uh, a lot of alumni who I talk to regularly, whether it's through social media or they call me or email me, and I always want their input. Like, hey, how are things going there? Do you see a value in me offering something like this here? And because um, if I see, see there's a gap, then what, if there's something I can do here, let's see if we can build it. Uh, there are some things we're, because of the limitations of community college we simply can't do. But um, it's it's really once I get a discovered idea in my head, I start chewing on it, and then I start getting other input, other people's advice. Um, I I know this much, little tiny bit, and if I can get a little tiny bit from everybody else, then that's going to make me seem smart. But really, it's leaning on the shoulders of, of others. And if I can, you know, get those people's input. And, and I've had a lot of people go, wow, that won't work at all. And here's why. And I go, oh, I didn't think of that. So really having a chance to, and I wouldn't say I have like a mentor necessarily, but because um, I like to pull from lots of different resources. And I have a lot of people in my contacts that I'll pull and go, you know, that person would be a good person to call. But this person might be good too, so let me call them as well. And oftentimes I'll send out blanket emails, just a big group email to 10, 12, 15 people and say, here's what I'm thinking about. Tell me why it won't work. 
or tell me if it will work, you know, um, because, you know, they're invested too, especially if it's something related to what we want to do here at Park College. Oh, so you have a pretty large uh, support group and network then. I do, I do, yeah. So then what, what's your life goal right now? What are you trying to achieve? Wow, a life goal. Well, my life goal is to raise my children to love God. That's That precedes everything else. Uh, if you're talking about, um, like, professionally? Professionally, okay. career-wise, yeah. Yeah, so professionally, um, the, the way I envision it is we would have this exercise science program is just a revolving door of anyone who wants to get into the fitness industry. And I, I mean people who are brand spanking new, who like, I don't know anything about it, but I'm interested in it, to people who want to then position themselves and make more money in the fitness industry. They're already there. And so the way to, uh, the way I envision doing this is to have this sort of entry-level program, which is what you had, had, had done uh, with some basic certified personal trainer courses, a group fitness instructor course, and then the opportunity for internships, and then do like advanced training courses as well. So people who, all right, I already know how to do personal training, but now I want to learn more about mobility and recovery and psychology, like specific to fitness, not just, you know, psychology, like take a psych class here, but how do you create behavior modification as it relates to fitness and health coaching and wellness? And then on top of that, how do we help people position their business. So have not just the training side of it, but also the actual business leadership, fitness management side of it. So that would give us three total certificates, a fitness specialist one for the entry level, if you will, Um, the advanced specializations on strength and conditioning, mobility, uh, corrective exercise, and then a business one that would be on, hey, if you're a trainer right now at a local gym, but you want to give yourself a step up in being prepared to be promoted to management or whatever, you can take a series of classes here. A lot of them will be partnering with our business department. So that's what I envision, that people will say, oh, more part college, I need to go there, no matter where they are in the fitness industry. Well, I need to go there because there's some great business classes I can take to be better at leading a group of trainers. I'm starting my own gym, and I want to hire some people. Well, you're good at training, but it doesn't mean you're good at leading. Mm-hmm. And that's a completely different set of skills. And I'm not saying I'm the professional at that. That's why I'm, I'm going to be using the business department to offer classes in sales and marketing and even things like on basic like budgeting and accounting because that's the stuff that you simply aren't going to learn unless you happen to hire somebody to do that or stumble upon you know an app that will do stuff. But you still have to understand it. So that that's my vision. And then, of course, having uh, bolstering the internship program as well. Like right now we offer um, interns, student interns, the opportunity to work with faculty and staff doing one-on-one training. Uh, It's all basic stuff in that they're learning about how to create a folder and how to how to document client information and how to write programs and uh, and then of course they have a chance to work with some of our teams but it's usually very foundational like we'll help you do warm ups and help you do cool downs and maybe some flexibility stuff and the coaches are super super great in embracing the interns to come and help with that side of it but I want to take it to that next level and say, all right, you've already been doing the training thing. Now we have advanced people who can really help with power training and you know, uh, and uh, corrective exercise for these particular athletes or for this particular uh, sport or whatever. And so um, I'd like to see the internship program grow as well. So we might have interns who are just working with teams and interns who are just doing group training and interns who are just doing one-on-one type training. I'd like to see that grow. The only way that can happen, though, is if we 
uh, or when we uh, have a new facility, because right now we just don't have the space for that. But that's what I envision. So it's people would see Moorpark College as not a community college, as an institution for helping people get into the fitness industry, and even going into physical therapy, chiropractic, things like that, because mobility, corrective exercise, it all it all comes together. It's all part of it. So. It, that that's my vision for that is making it sort of a one-stop shop and i mean we're at an academic institution we can we can make it that way we just gotta have the right plan to do it and it just takes some time yeah no it's incredible what you've done here so far <laughs> thanks um have you seen any pitfalls in like some of the trainers either coming out of your program or trainers that you've worked with in the past or is there like a couple things that stand out to you like they could do so well in the industry but something's missing or they're just not following up with something. Yeah, well, where do I start? Well, it's I, I, I kind of explain my role here kind of like as it is going to like a driver's training class or like well, that's what they used to have when I was in high school. We had driver's training, but now you can pay to take a, a, a learn-to-drive class. Um, the instructor is going to give you all the right tools and give you all the right information. Once you pass your test and you become a licensed driver, you're on your own. So... Your previous experience, your social pressures, your whatever situations you're in, your ability to manage time is going to determine whether you speed or drive recklessly or whatever. I didn't teach you that. I taught you to do it the right way. It's once you go out into the real world, now how, how, um, how susceptible are you to some of those outside pressures? And, you know, I get, it, it, I really do, I try really, really hard because I've been burned many times in the past of trying to sort of w judge whether a person's going to be right for the industry, so you know, quote unquote, um, when they come in. But I'm getting pretty good now and going, you know what, y you need to humble yourself a little bit. I get people who come in, well, I've been doing this for so long and I already have a job here and blah, blah, blah. And I don't have to tell them to humble themselves. Oftentimes it ends up happening when they fail their first quiz or, you know, they answer incorrectly when we're doing a lab or something. Um, but oftentimes it's personality. I think... Um, I can help anyone learn the stuff. I can help anyone practice the stuff, but it's the personality that usually gets in their way. I've had people who are phenomenally smart. I mean, they do so well on my tests, and then um, they do well in our labs, but they're they're not very driven. They're not very motivated, and you know, in, in any industry, it doesn't matter whether it's fitness or not, just in life in general, if you want to be good, you have to work hard. I mean, it's just the way it goes, and I can't be the one to dangle the carrot all the time because once you leave the school... You have to hold your own carrot or find another carrot for yourself. Um, I'd say probably one of the, the biggest issues that I have come to deal with is, and I feel bad for students when they leave the program or they, and they move on to get jobs in the industry, is they will reach out to me and, and talk about, wow, the stuff that you taught us, they're not expecting us to do that at the gyms. No the way. things that you that you tell us are the minimum expectation, nobody does that at the gyms. Like what, for example? Uh, like, for example, writing down people's programs ahead of time. Um, like, for example, um, not sitting down in one place and watching your client train, but instead moving around them. Um, for example... Uh, count, you know, being expected to uh, to document a person's tempo and not just be there to count repetitions, but there are so many d those little things. Uh, you know, being on devices during your training session, all those little things like that, that people come back and say, you know, you've told us we sh we can't do these things because, and you explain why, and I always do. Um, but we go into the real world, the expectation is so much lower, and. 
I tell them, I go, awesome. That means that your minimum expectation is already far and above everyone else's. That's going to differentiate you from everyone, differentiate you from everyone else. But here's the problem. The problem becomes when the standard is lower, you end up over time settling for that lower standard. It's it's no different than, you know, playing ping pong against somebody who's really really bad. You know, when you're playing against somebody who's really really good, you got your A game ready, you're super laser focused, you're not going to let anything go by you, no dumb mistakes. When you're playing against somebody who's not so good, you start to kind of screw around a little bit. Maybe you don't take it that seriously. Each point, oh, it's okay. I lost a point. I'll get another point back. Well, you can't fall into that trap. And that's what happens when the standard is pretty low. People end up kind of lulling themselves into that lower expectation. And I, I tell you, one of the, sort of an, as an aside, one of the, the coolest compliments that I have had, and it's a compliment for the students. It's, I don't really see it as much as a compliment from me. Um, but is when I have employers or even um, trainers come to me who are now starting in, coming to the college to meet people or coming to the college to take classes, and they'll say, I can tell your trainers. I can tell more park trainers because they, they do it differently. That's interesting. And that's super interesting to me. And, of course, in my head I'm going, but it shouldn't be different. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thankful that they are... The, the baton has been passed, and now they're leading it and doing it what I consider to be myopically, my way, the right way. But shouldn't everyone be doing that? I yeah. mean, the way the standard that, that's being taught here at the college should be what everyone's already doing. The, the sad part is the standard that I think is the minimum to be effective in, in leading people and be, I don't know, good with customer service is it's way above what people typically expect. So it's it's kind of a sad thing. So it's much as it's cool to know that people are doing it. It's also kind of kind of bums me out to think, wow, why are why isn't everybody else doing it, and why aren't managers and employers expecting that? Well, maybe I'm just expecting too much. There's not a lot of leaders like you. You know, there aren't people there that are keeping those people accountable. Yeah. So everybody needs that accountability. I mean, for the longest time, I was trying to get out of the industry, and it wasn't until I met my mentor that I'm like, oh my gosh, like. I cannot. I can't leave. I love this. And mm -hmm. then my business completely flipped. Everything changed for me. Um, Actually, I'll, I'll add to that too. I think in in defense of the kind of leadership we see now in the fitness industry, um, I think we have managers. I'll just talk about managers, whether it's a district manager or a fitness manager. We have too many people trying to manage too many parts of the business. Mm -hmm. And when it comes right down to it, if you were to ask, if you were to look at, a, at, a, at the line items on a production report, what are you looking at? Whether there was quality service delivered or whether we're hitting our numbers. Because above them, it's about the numbers. Yeah, the they, people, they love the numbers. Yeah, and so and they may not even love the numbers, but because the numbers are what drive the business at some point, they forget, wait a minute, what creates those numbers? Well, it's the standard that we set and it's practicing quality customer service and loving on people and helping people and you know being sympathetic to people and finding a way to meet them halfway and not just being so like you know a drill sergeant about it and actually looking at how do I help if you do that part of it I I contend that the numbers will happen which has always been how I've driven my business and it's worked yeah and, and so um, I Certainly. think look what you're doing here well yeah and and, and for me it's it, it that's exactly right I, I run it the same way if I if, if I take the time to have my my office open for people and I can get to know people and help them 
I create people who trust me. And if I create people who trust me as a person and as a professor, they're probably going to trust me on the content and the standards. If they trust me on the content and the standards, then they're going to do it. And if they do it, I create more champions for the program and that trickles back down to the program. So it's to me, it's we just lose sight of it. I, I think sometimes you know, you, we, we look at what the outcome needs to be and forget about how we get to the outcome. What are you enjoying the most about what you're doing right now? Oh, the people. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's so funny. I, uh, I remember hearing a story about uh, Bill Russell, starting center for the Boston Celtics for so many years, and um, uh, his, uh, his teammates would say that before every single game, Bill would be throwing up in the locker room. Nervous before every single game. Just absolutely nervous to, to the point of vomit. And I think about, I think about how, how every start of every semester is for me, and I'm so much like that. I don't throw up, but I'm so nervous. I've been doing this for so long. Yeah. Like, I got my office, dude. Like, this is where I live. Like, you know, I, everyone knows Jeff's car, you know. I mean, why am I nervous? Of all people, to be nervous. I get so nervous before every the start of every semester. And that makes me so happy because the reason I'm nervous is because I, I always wonder, who am I going to meet? How is that person going to affect my life? And how can I affect their lives? And that's, that's so exciting to me. Um, that... That is my favorite part, it's the people. And it's faculty, it's the interactions I have with them and colleagues that are not even in anywhere near where my office is. You know, I got, I got f- close friends in counseling and in the career transfer center, in business department, in philosophy, and it's just the fact that I can learn from them and they learn from me, but it's, it's the relationships, these the people, that's what makes this so, so awesome. Wow, that's incredible. What is something that you tell... Um You've got a brand new student walking through your doors. Mm-hmm. They're super green. They haven't even started working out yet. What do you say to them? How do you approach them? So are we talking about... What would you say... What would you tell them about the industry? Okay. They knew nothing about it. What okay. would you tell them about the industry? I tell them it is the most fun you will ever have at work if you're willing to work. And that, to me, that pretty much sums it up. Um, Oftentimes, and I, I, I try to be as, as as early as possible when I when I meet people in front of a classroom or in, in a one-on-one setting in my office. I try to be as candid as possible and as, as upfront and let them know you can have a sustainable living, you can have a fulfilling profession, and have so much fun doing it. I mean, it's just so much fun. But if you are not willing to work just garbage hours and deal with people's neuroses and their baggage uh, and then it's not for you. I mean, I'll teach you the content but at some point, you're going to have to be the one that gets up at 4 in the morning to go see a client at 5. Oh, yeah. And then you got to train them, train until 9 or 10 and then come back at 4 or 5 and then train until 8 or 9 and then do it all over again. And then a client cancels on a Thursday but the only time they can come in is a Saturday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Are you okay with that? Are you willing to do that? Um, and I, I kind of liken it to to just relationships in general. Um, my relationship with my profession is the way I approach my relationship with my wife and my kids. It's, is it worth it? And if it's worth it, then it's not work. If, if, if doing laundry and cleaning the house and speaking kindly to my wife is worth the outcome of the relationship, then it's not hard. It's wonderful. And does it take some changes in habits? Well, yeah, of course. But... Um, 
it, I always tell them too that you know, fact of the matter is, you're gonna end up struggling. You know, I mean, it's not like getting a job at Starbucks. You're gonna, you know, what you're gonna get paid as long as you know your hours and your hourly rate. You know, you're gonna get paid. But when you're working in fitness, you're not gonna know. And so I always tell them, you need to have, you need to prepare for that first year. Prepare for it. So whatever you're doing right now, serving, you know, working at a restaurant, whatever it is you're doing, start saving some money now. If this is what you really want to do, then expect there's going to be a lot more famine than there will be feasting. But if you stick it out, you'll do fine. And if you have questions, you have me, you have you know, Brock, my other colleague who went through the program and knows what he's doing, and other people around who can help him through that. Um, but it's, it's hard. It is hard. But I, I think, too... Um, I, I kind of don't mind scaring people away. I kind of don't mind it because um, if they really do want to do it, then they'll say, like I said to my basketball coach, watch me. Love it. Prove me wrong. I don't ever tell them, you're not going to do well. I never say that. But I, t- I do tell them the realities of it. I tell them that after three months, I almost quit. It took me three months before I full- sold my first personal training package. No way. Three months. And my manager and the, all the salespeople were getting tired of Handing off clients to me, and I couldn't, I couldn't flip them into, into resigns. I was struggling. I had all these orientations. I couldn't flip them. I was having the hardest time. It wasn't that I didn't know my stuff. I just I didn't understand how to do it. And but I stuck it out. I, I this one uh, former manager of mine named Randy, absolutely changed my entire life. If it wasn't for Randy, I would not be here. I mean, he absolutely. What did he, do? he said so. Uh, how did that orientation go? Because once again. They didn't, they didn't buy. And I said, I don't know what to do, man. They didn't buy. He goes, yeah, I know. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. He goes, and he said, Jeff, you're the smartest person here. There's no reason you can't be selling training. He said, the problem is, he said, do you think you're worth it? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, really? Because, and I didn't even know I did this, but he said, here's what you did. And here's how much it costs. And you slid over the, the whole, the price sheets. And then you... Two seconds later said, I know it's expensive. And he said, you don't think you're worth it. And I went, holy cow. He's right. I didn't think I was worth 50 bucks, 60 bucks. I mean, we were offering packages that were 20 bucks, and I didn't think I was worth it. And so he said, you can't sell anything unless you think it's worth it. And I, he, he didn't say anything more than that. And after that, I went, wow, look at the people I can help. Look at all the people in this gym. I know I can help. I know I can do it. I am worth it. And so, because I even asked myself, would I pay me to train me? And I went, yeah, I totally would. Like, I'd, have, I'd give myself great workouts. You know, I had to talk myself through this. And then, no joke, the next day, uh, Larry and Carolyn Powell. I still remember. This was in 1997? No, 1998. I sold my first package. It was a buddy package. I mean, and then after that, and it was funny because he even gave me a hard time. That guy, Larry, gave me a hard time. He's a business real estate guy. Like, he is a total wheeler and dealer. And, um, and Carolyn was like, just shut up and buy the sessions already. <laughs> we already talked about it. And so I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, he's going to buy. And, like, I didn't even believe it until he handed me the credit card. And I was like, oh, my goodness. This is actually happening. And I remember how it made me feel, not because I made the sale, but because they were thanking me. They just paid me $600, and they were thanking me, and I didn't understand that. I was like, what? I should be thanking them, but they were thanking me. Like, they out-thanked me because they saw the value, and I went, why am I not seeing the value like them? And that completely changed my perspective, and at that point, 
I became the number one trainer in the division, easily the number one in my region. Uh, I was winning awards left and right for production, but ironically, it was never about the sales. It was about how do I get them to see the value? And once I gained those relationships, which didn't happen right away, I, I remember one uh, client named Jim who I talked to for six months. He was a member at the gym, worked out this one time, all the time. He's always there. He talked to more people than he actually worked out. You know, super nice guy. I love talking to that guy. Finally, I was like, you know, have you ever worked with a trainer? And he goes, no. And I was like, do you want to work with me? Like, obviously, I have time right now during this time. I actually had a client just drop off. And he goes, you know what, not right now. He's let me know when you have some specials. Okay, so I knew he didn't see the value in what I did yet. So then periodically when I had downtime, I would go and say, hey, what are you working on? Let me just show you a couple things. Never talked about specials until a special came around because he asked me to. And then eventually he comes up to me and goes, all right, Jeff, I'm ready to buy. No way. And I trained him for easily 18 months. Yeah, phenomenal guy. He got great results, but it took six months for him to see the value. Isn't that kind of like relationships though? Yep. Right? I mean, it's a rarity when you find about oh, maybe our grandparents who like, I saw grandma and I knew and we got married two days <laughs> later. Like, that's super rare. And yeah. it's phenomenal when that happens, but it's just, it's, it's unreasonable to think that's going to happen on the, in the middle of a workout floor. It's, it's, I, don't, I just don't think it's very realistic. And, you know, going back to when our managers or our quote unquote fitness leaders are so focused on the number, the production, they ask you, go work the floor, Cameron, and go get some clients. Well, that's just like saying go work the floor and go get some phone numbers and get some get some girls to go on a date. Like, it's super hard. Yeah, it's super hard. They're it's like, I, I, it's totally intimidating. And it's for them too. So, it's just a caustic relationship that is not really not really designed to work very well. Does it sometimes? Yes, but it's not because you had some great song and dance in that five seconds. It's because it was already in the back of their mind. They wanted to do something, and you happen to be that straw that broke that camel's back. And. That's a blessing when you happen to be in the right place at the right time. But, I mean, realistically, you're going to get way more no's on that workout floor than you ever are going to get yeses. And then as a result, people quit. People who I thought were going to be fantastic in the fitness industry, who, you know, were always pressured about the number, now they're doing whatever it is they're doing, but they're not doing anything related to that, which is a shame because we lose a lot of people because we don't want to spend the time to nurture them into understanding the process and the process isn't making the sale. The process is about building the relationship. Yeah. And that's kind of the, uh, the whole purpose of this podcast, too, is to show people that you can have a living, you can be successful in this industry. I mean, that's why I'm here with you today, because you're somebody who, from my, the very beginning of my career, I was like, holy cow, this guy has <laughs> so much passion for this industry. I want that. Awesome. And, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I'd hate to see people turn away from the industry. It, right. it is, I honestly think it's the greatest job you could ever have. I mean, we get to build relationships with people. We get to, you know, essentially hang out with people and watch their lives change. Watch their... Beautiful way to put that. Yeah, personalities change. Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, just a couple, like, quick rapid-fire questions. Are there sure. any uh, pet peeves that you see that trainers do? Pet peeves, uh, I would say, wow, (laughs) how long do we have? The the top three. The The top top three. three. All right, so I get to rank them. Um, I would probably say uh, not being prepared for their session is probably number one for me is they don't have something written out. They don't have an idea of what they're going to do next. Uh, And you can tell. I can tell. I was at a a local gym by my house. Uh, It was early morning. 
and a guy was training somebody. I happened to go to the drinking fountain and saw his clipboard you know, right next to where they were doing a rest period, and it was blank. It was, it was a, there was a program with just grid lines, but there was literally nothing written on it. And then I noticed he would walk over and then write some stuff down. So he was creating a program as he was making it up. Oh, my goodness. That, that to me, is so unprofessional. And we wonder why fitness people have such a bad reputation, yeah. uh, And although it's changing. Um, so that's definitely number one. We'd have to be just people not coming prepared for a session. I mean, I'm paying you for this, and you're not ready for me? I would be very bothered by that. Um, uh, the next thing I would say would just be um, not encouraging their clients to be autonomous. So let them get their one. own weights. Get their own weights. They can do that because when they're not with you, who's going to grab their weights? You know, you and I know how to kick dumbbells up when we lie down on a flat bench. Mm-hmm. Nobody taught me that. Why aren't we teaching people that? I mean, my mom didn't know how to do that until I taught her to do that when I was her personal trainer. So we, we just kind of assume that we have to hand clients weights and let me go get your weights and oh, I'll go put that tube back for you. But then we create this codependent relationship where they never know how to operate on their own in a facility. And then we get upset with people who don't rack their weights. We get upset with people who don't know where the foam rollers go. And it's like, well, you're not teaching that. And on top of that, it's count their own reps, man. They don't, you don't need to count their repetitions. I got, I got a master's degree, dude. I'm pretty good at counting to 12. And if I can't count to 12, I'll say two more, and I think that's 14. That's about as <laughs> far as I go. But they should be the ones counting their repetitions. They should be the ones counting their tempo. Yeah. And, but we have, to, we have to want to teach them, I'm trying to create another me. A person who loves to move, who can do it on their own. In a perfect world, I get you, Cameron, as my client, to the point where you don't need Jeff anymore. Yeah, but I like Jeff, so that's why I continue to well, pay Jeff. But, that, but see, that's the byproduct of building a relationship. And so maybe I don't have to get on you about form and tempo as much anymore. Now it's f- driving you and pushing you and having you do things maybe you don't want to do on your own. But it's a different type of relationship. But it's still about you know what to do. It's not that you don't know what to do. I mean, I I used to belong to a a local group fitness studio, and I loved it. It's not that I didn't know what to do. I just wanted somebody to push me. Yeah. Because they will push me way harder than I can push myself. So I I just think that we we feel, and I I hear people say this all the time, people not just new to training, but people who are already, like, in the industry say, well, I feel the pressure that I have to do it for them, that I have to move the pin on the weight stack, that I have to grab their dumbbells and put them away. And I'm like, why? Why? You're getting all the wonderful calorie burn benefits. You're getting all the functional movement of picking up dumbbells off the bottom rack or you know, unilateral loading, picking up dumbbell with one side. You get all that benefit. Why don't you give them that benefit? So yeah, definitely not, not letting people do stuff on their own. I, that, that kind of bothers me. And I think probably the last thing would just be disinterested during a session. Um, person's body language, uh, you know, folding the arms, hands on the hips, uh, I don't understand why we feel the need to stare at a person's weight as it goes up and down and up and down all the time. Uh, you need to be moving around them, looking at them, their feet and their knees all the way up and then saying good job or fixing something, then moving around again. And if you if you look at them from all three points of view and you're monitoring their tempo and you're they're, they're telling you the repetitions, then you don't have time to just stand there and say nothing. I mean, you can do it in a way you're not talking the whole time, but I just think it just looks bad too. I mean, if I'm super engaged, my client knows. They know if their foot turned out and I go, oh, right foot, they go, oh, man, he's really watching me. But if 
if they're deviating left and right and I don't notice anything, well then that tells them that I'm not as interested. And it's hard though. That that's probably a hard one. That's the one I'm I always try to kind of stroke people's egos and be super sensitive to because I mean, you know what it's like in the industry. 5 a.m. client, first one of the day, I'm rock star, ready to go. I haven't had my caffeine yet. I'm so pumped up. Get there. That's the best training session. By the time I get to my 10 a.m. appointment that morning, it's a rough session. They might be into it, but now this is my sixth one in a row. I'm exhausted. So it's easy. It's easy to kind of be lulled into that sort of complacent type of mentality. And every session has to be your best session. And you can't, you can't do that if you're not totally engaged. So I think the appearance of being disinterested, even if you say, well, I'm watching, but if you're not engaging with them while you're watching, then it perception's reality. Those would be my top three. They're a good top three. <laughs> Thanks. I like them. <laughs> favorite piece of exercise equipment? Oh, favorite one. Wow. I would say that if I was probably... If you're on a desert island, you only have one piece of equipment to work out with. Do I have to choose one? Can I just say my body? Is that cheating? You could say your body. All right. Okay. Uh, because you can do so much with it. Um, I, can, uh, I can do stuff in a tree. I can do stuff with rocks. I can do stuff in sand. I can do it if I'm on the des- deserted island in the middle of the ocean. I can do stuff in the water, and I don't have to worry about anything else. And it, it requires a lot more critical thought, a lot of totally. creativity. But when you figure that stuff out, it's so much fun. And to see the things that you can do. I mean... I watch YouTube and I'm like, that's cool what that person can do with just their body weight. I can't do that. But it's super cool. That yeah. that to me is, I mean, we are the most perfectly designed piece of exercise equipment ever. Uh, but if I was to actually give you one that, if I was to own one, it'd probably be the, uh, probably any of those like uh, free motion has a dual cable cross that um, has you know, rotating arms, vertical and lateral. It's Those are pretty awesome. You can do anything with those, which is pretty cool. Very cool. So if I was to choose one, that'd be it. Final question, or not even question, just uh, I haven't heard this in so long. you got to tell me the story about uh, trainers and there are two more. <laughs> so, Rep count. So uh, I, uh, I always tell people that personal training is hard. It's really, really hard. There's, it's, it's, I look at people who are really good at multitasking. That's why I always contend that uh, I think females, personally, are better at personal training than men. Uh, it's because my wife is really good at multitasking. She can do many things. If uh, if I'm focusing on one thing, the the building could be on fire, and I'm just like I'm <laughs> right in the middle of focusing on this right now, and I'll get that thing done, and it'll get done well, but at the expense of other things too. And um, and personal training's hard because I have to make sure that I'm watching all these different kinetic check, checkpoints. I'm also considering you know their movement patterns related to their imbalances, and of course, what about the, the tempo? Are they doing it at the right speed that I want? Uh, and of course, not to mention, is there any you know excessive range of motion or any ancillary movements that they shouldn't be doing? On top of that, how many reps are they doing? And you know, oftentimes people just start moving and don't even count their own repetitions, so they rely on me to do that. So years and years and years uh, ago when I first started training, I would, I would see they just start struggling, but I had no idea how many reps they'd just done. So I would ask, how you feeling? They're like, oh, it's getting hard. So my answer to them was, well, give me two more. Well, then that just turned into the battle cry. And then I started realizing, and I, I didn't know this because I wasn't, you know, this was before the internet and social media and all that stuff, but I didn't really know what other trainers did other than maybe the small group of trainers that were in my gym. And I started really listening in going, oh, everyone says two more. Everyone says two more. And I don't know what it is about two more, 
that, but I joke and say, I suck at counting. That's why I just say two more. And I've caught myself saying two more five times to the same person. Like, All right, two more. Uh, okay, you did that. Two more. Uh, and it's, that, that's where the whole thing kind of started. So it's funny how it just kind of ends up happening. I did have a client named Diana who appreciated when I told her two more, which I about laughed and fell on the floor because to me that was the cop-out that I didn't know how many reps she should have been doing or whatever. And it's not bad. Two more is fine. Uh, but uh, she said, I love that you tell me when I have two more because I know I can do two. If I'm really struggling, I know I can do two. So I messed with her then the next session and said, four more. She goes, don't tell me four. <laughs> so for Diana, two more worked out really well for her. But that's kind of the ongoing joke, like a fun little inside thing at, at, in our program that when I hear trainers training other students here in, uh, in, during labs and hands-on, if I hear two more, then I announce it, two more, and everybody cheers. It's just kind of a funny little thing. But, uh, yeah, we're just not good at counting. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Jeff, I appreciate you taking the time to meet with me today. Um, that was better than I could have expected. Oh, fantastic. Well, thanks for having me, Cameron. Appreciate yeah, it. No problem, man. That's it for this episode of The Principles of Fitness, everyone. I would like to give Jeff a special thanks for being on the show today. It has been such an honor getting to know you over the years, Jeff. Uh, you're a truly great man, and just want to thank you for everything that you have done. If you're a personal trainer or you know a personal trainer and you feel that they could benefit from the information on this podcast, then please share this episode with them. Thank you for listening, everyone, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Principles of Fitness.